Does your child need tutoring? Did you ever have a tutor? Who gets a tutor? Only the people who can pay for it? Only the people who need it? Only the kids who are behind? Everybody needs a tutor. Here's a word from my favorite nonprofit organization called Operation Underground Railroad. They rescue children from sex slavery. And they do this by helping domestic and international police departments perform sting operations. Not only that, they also provide counseling services to help these kids heal from their mental and emotional wounds and reintegrate back into society or integrate into society for the first time because some of these poor kids have been in this since as long as they can remember. So if you want to find out more about them and donate, you can visit them at OURrescue.org. That's OURrescue.org. So why would I say that everybody needs a tutor? The reason is, if you want to learn in the fastest way possible, or if you want to learn with the highest level of mastery over the content you're trying to learn, or the highest level of understanding of the concepts you're trying to grasp, the way to do it is with one-on-one tutoring. Why? Because with a one-on-one tutor, not only can you ask them questions as you need them, but the tutor can more quickly perceive what your individual needs are. The tutor can more quickly anticipate what you're grasping and what you're not grasping by the immediate individual response that you're giving the tutor. And you can ask them in the moment if you know what to ask, or you can ask, I don't even know what to ask. And the tutor will then know that they need to rephrase the way they taught something or um, backtrack in some way. That, unfortunately, is not something we're able to have so readily in the public school system and also in a lot of charter schools and private schools. And, you know, tutoring one-on-one and its effectiveness is kind of intuitive, right? I mean, we, we could have guessed that. We could have guessed if you were to have one student learn algebra with a one-on-one tutor and then another student learn algebra in a classroom, we might have guessed that the student with the one-on-one tutor had would have better academic performance. However, we did not have um, the experimental data on this until Benjamin Bloom. Benjamin Bloom performed a seminal study a very important study for this particular question. What he did was he had in his experiment a control, which was the classroom, and he wanted to see if his experimental groups outperformed the control uh, classroom, the normal classroom, the average classroom you might come across in probably your child's class right now. And so what he did was there were two experimental groups and he measured quite a few things, but we're just going to focus on academic performance. And the first experimental group was learning the same content, 
but in small groups. And the third experimental group, or sorry, the third group, which was the second experimental group, was students, were students learning on, with, uh, with a one-on-one -on -one tutor. Well, guess how they did in terms of average academic performance. The control classroom, their students performed, let's say, this average, 50th percentile average. The experimental group with small groups, they performed one standard deviation higher than the um, a control classroom. So they're probably at about like the 85th percentile. Then the one-on-one -on -one tutoring group performed two standard deviations higher than the um, control classroom. Two standard deviations higher, putting them in the 98th percentile with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Imagine if we could provide one-on-one -on -one tutoring for all of our students in all of the United States. How amazing would that be? This is called uh, very commonly the two sigma problem. Two sigma referring to uh, the two standard deviations higher at which students with one-on-one -on -one tutoring outperform the traditional average student in aggregate. So why is this a problem? It's a problem because we don't necessarily have the resources to provide all of our students with one-on-one um, -on -one tutoring. Okay, so that's number one. Very, very obvious, very basic. Um, number two, not all of the students have the resources themselves to purchase or to buy uh, tutoring services. Okay, so that's the second thing. Um, so let's go with the first one. So we don't necessarily have resources in the educational system to provide one-on-one -on -one tutoring for everybody. Okay, what does that mean? That means we don't have enough money to pay for that many teachers or to pay for that many tutors. That would be too much of an expense that the education system can afford. Okay, so that's what that means. And then on the learner side and their family side, it means they not all families earn enough money to be able to pay for a tutor outside of the regular classroom. So where does this leave us? This leaves us with knowing that we have uh, this data and that's been rec replicated, this experiment has been replicated mo multiple times, many, many times with different variations. And yet we can't give what we know is best to the students. We can't give them this one-on-one -on -one tutoring um, because we don't have the resources and or, and or they don't have the resources. This is called the two sigma problem. We know they could perform two standard deviations higher. They can learn more sooner, but they can't, and we can't teach them. So that's the two sigma problem. Next is mastery learning.
Okay, so hold on to that two sigma problem in the back of your head. We're going to go on to this next topic, and we're going to combine them. One of the reasons why one-on-one -on -one tutoring was so effective is because um, in this particular study of Bloom's, uh, his name is Benjamin Bloom. Yes, I know it has a wonderful alliteration. That, that name has a wonderful alliteration, Benjamin Bloom. Um, the tutors focused, he had the tutors focus on mastery learning. Mastery learning means you don't move on until the student understands everything they need to understand 100%, not 95%, not 99%, 100%. The, the, the thought process or the reasoning or the idea behind mastery learning is that if we focus on helping students master each concept consecutively, then that will lead to much better academic performance in the long, uh, throughout, not only in the long run, but also throughout the whole learning process. And we will um, be doing them a favor instead of a disservice as we unfortunately have to be doing now. So here's the thing. Mastery learning is very difficult to achieve in the whole spectrum of education right now because not everyone knows how to implement it. Not everyone knows uh, how to leverage the technology to implement it. And this is why mastery learning is important. Let, let me just kind of back up a, a couple of steps. Salman Khan, who is the founder of Khan Academy, um, which is a free educational platform where you can learn basically any topic in uh, that you would learn in K-12 education. If you don't know about it, this is your, this is the way to fix the two sigma problem. Well, this is th the best option to fix the two sigma problem today. So go check it out at khanacademy.org, I think it, it is, or .com. You can just Google Khan Academy, K-H-A-N. So and I'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But Salman Khan, he said, the reason why mastery, uh, mastery learning is so important is because we're sending kids forward with these holes in their learning. If they get 70% on their math test in, you know, let's say uh, average in fifth grade, then we're going to move them on with, uh, with them not knowing the 30% that they didn't understand. And then they're supposed to go to the next level of math and try and figure it out, right? Try and learn that 30% from last year and then also try and learn the new content for the sixth grade. And let's say they get by and they, they get uh, on average 80% of the content in sixth grade. And that's reflected by their 80% score on their average, you know, average score on their test in sixth grade. Then they, they have to go on to seventh grade math, not knowing the 20% from sixth grade. And so each year their holes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger until the day comes in high school and they say, I'm not good at math or I'm not a math person. When in reality, it's not about being a math person or not. It's about having been given the opportunity or putting in the effort to know all of the things you need to know before moving on. That's mastery learning. That's the importance of mastery learning. And the analogy he gives, I think, is a very clear analogy. He gives the analogy of building a house. You wouldn't build a house um, making the foundation and having the, the person who comes and checks if it's up to code or not 
uh, come and say to the to you, the foundation is about 70% uh, all right, is, is about 70% there. So you can move on to the framing. Then you move on to the framing. And then the uh, this inspector comes back and says, yeah, the framing is about, you know, 80% uh, strong and firm in terms of its structure. And then you would say, and then he would say to move on after that, you know, you can put in the insulation and all the electrical and the tubing and the wires and the air vent systems, et cetera, et cetera. You, th that would be insane. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't make your house uh, with a 70% completed foundation, 80% completed framing, and then a subpar rest of the house, right? Walls and the whole structural integrity would be, you know, in jeopardy. So that's, but we're doing the same thing, you know, metaphorically speaking, with our education system. If we continue to move kids on uh, after having given them this, you know, passing, quote unquote, passing grade of 70, 80, even 90, 95%. And so what is the missing content that they're not understanding? And why can't we give it to them? It's because of the two sigma problem. And so how can we fix the two sigma problem? Well, the way we can do that, you know, if we don't have the resources, we don't have the manpower and the resources. So here's the part where it gets interesting trying to solve this problem. We have technology that can put someone's explanation of a content onto a screen and save it, and it can be viewed by millions of people at the same time. Additionally, we have technology that can test you on your understanding of a concept via quizzes or tests or exams or just practice problems in general, and it can measure whether or not you provide the correct answer. And if you don't, then it can measure what concepts you understand and what concepts concepts you don't understand. And then it can tailor instruction to you. It can give you feedback in the form of text in, in these messages of saying, consider this or consider that. And then um, it can help guide your thinking or watch this particular video. Let's say you're learning um, algebra and you're doing, um, you're making graphs. You're learning how to plot a line or graph a line you would probably learn the formula, the slope-intercept form of a graph, y equals mx plus b. You may have remembered that. And if you know how to solve y equals mx plus b for the slope given a point or for the y-intercept given a point, forgive the math refresher here, um, then let's say you know how to do those things, but you don't know how to graph it exactly when the computer asks you to graph it. If you don't know how to graph it, then the computer knows you understand the mechanics of solving for this formula, but you don't understand to graph it. Let me give you a resource to graph it. And it may suggest a particular video or it may suggest a particular um, thought to consider or a concept to try and understand or a paragraph to read or a chapter of a book. And that this is technology that we have today. And it's both free and paid for the free version is Khan Academy, which is, which is what I'm circling back to. This is what Khan Academy provides. 
I, uh, I am going to uh, schools individually, asking them why they don't use Khan Academy and um, trying to gather, I guess, qualitative data um, or trying to gather as much information as possible in order to, uh, you know, this a- anecdotal data in order to um, piece together why we don't take advantage of this, you know, to help solve the two sigma problem. And the reason that I hear the most is because is this, we don't want our kids to be on a screen all day long. And that's a very reasonable concern. You know, we, we don't uh, have, um, we're, we're currently suffering, I would say, this technology pandemic where um, our kids are glued to a screen all day and everyone's worried about um, whether or not their kids are getting enough social experiences in order to uh, thrive socially. And <clears throat> they're all living in this virtual world and kind of blending reality and blending emotions and, and not knowing how to uh, face particular situations. And, and I get that. I honestly do. I have a couple of kids and I, I worry the same thing for them. However, we, ha- we have to think of the big picture in terms of their learning and understand that it doesn't take that long in order to learn a concept a little bit every day and learn math. In fact, if you look at this school, Prenda.co, uh, is their website, they're called Prenda, they leverage Khan Academy heavily. They, and they're, every single one of their kids excels, whether they were already excelling or they, or they were very poor academically uh, speaking in terms of their uh, performance. Um, all of them thrive. I remember this uh, watching a video of this one kid from Prenda who actually came to Prenda two grade levels behind and ended up getting caught up within half a year to his own grade level. That's amazing. That's the power of one-on-one tutoring because now we don't have to pay for all of those teachers teaching one-on-one. We don't have to pay for every single uh, student getting their own teacher in order to help them improve. Um, and we, we there, the beauty is we have this uh, Khan Academy, this free resource in order to help them, um, in order to help our students succeed. And whether it be in school or at home, we can still take advantage of this. Anyway, this podcast is not trying to be a, um, what's it called, a promoter for, uh, or an advertisement for Khan Academy. I just strongly believe in this idea that one-on-one tutoring, and it's not even a, a belief, I'm not trying to present it as something that's a personal a belief or something that, that's a personal philosophy that everyone has their own philosophy on. No, this is data. This is proven data that we, uh, we ha- this is a proven claim that we have data to support. This is something that we know happens and we can predict very, very easily. If you get one-on-one tutoring, and the tutoring is able to uh, the tutor is able to diagnose your particular needs and address those needs to help you learn more. You are going to learn more, and you're going to outperform those who don't have one-on-one tutoring. Now, granted, though there are those kids who do well and, and still perform well in in the in the uh, whole class environment. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the masses. I'm talking about the average student. They outperform the one-on-one uh, students who learn with a personal tutor outperform. Uh, outperform uh, the average class. Now, why is this important, and why? What, an, 
why is this something that's not as widely adopted? I'm not completely sure yet. I'm finding that out now. However, one of the reasons why I hypothesize why it's not widely adopted is because of this crucial, crucial uh, um, lack of interaction that you don't have, that that, that there is um, with technological tutors that we have, such as in terms of Khan Academy or open courseware, which is you can't ask a video a question. You can't ask um, for clarification on a topic and you can't conversate with the technology according to what we have right now. But that's where AI teachers come in. This is my big, this is the big kahuna. This is my big hypothesis. What if we can provide artificial intelligence software that students can communicate with and ask questions to? And if it can ask questions, uh, sorry, if students can ask questions to it, then the students not only will be able to have their one-on-one -on -one tutor where they the, they get their, their lecture in, but they're able to also clarify things. And they're able to, to work with them as if it was a human uh, trying to help them teach them this particular concept or these facts. What does that do? You may ask, does that replace the human teacher? No, it does not replace the human teacher. In fact, it allows the teacher to focus on higher level learning. Once the student knows these concepts or the, these procedures by themselves, having learned them with a tutor that involves artificial intelligence and helping your children to, to learn more on their own, there are plenty of resources online and there are plenty of resources um, that uh, are in construction in, in the technology world. This is something that you definitely want to look into if you're interested in helping your student, your children learn the best way possible and in the fastest way possible to follow um, what Bloom has proven to be the best and most effective way for our students to get ahead in academics and to speed up the, the learning process to even younger and younger ages. I believe that, and this is something I believe in a personal philosophy, that in the future, as we continue to leverage technology to help um, students learn more and more uh, quickly and sooner individually, they'll, what, what we're learning in high school will be content that we could learn in middle school. And in fact, I've already tried this with the middle school students that I teach, teaching them high, uh, high school level sciences. And they there's no problem if you present it um, in a small enough group and, and if you present it in the right way. And it, it, it's it, we're, systemically, the nature of the system that we have underestimates the potential of the student's understanding. And, and if we are, are underestimating their potential and what they can learn, then we're not giving them enough room to grow as fast as possible to be able to apply those things as soon as apply that knowledge sooner rather than later so that they can work on real world projects so that they can work on the real uh, problems that they're going to face when they're in, uh, in the future for example um, you know I, I've mentioned this before uh, things like uh, purifying salt water or, or, or a, a sustainable way to um, uh, pure salt water. What if we can teach them those the concepts, science concepts at a sooner age, and then in high school actually have them work on uh, creative projects to uh, bust out their ideas and and put to take it from the paper, from the drawing board uh, to the workshop, 
and then school will be a workshop for them to actually work on the problems that they're going to face in their future and, and also in our future. This is something that I feel like is not just a way for us to uh, improve the students' academic performance, but rather a way for them to uh, be better prepared for their future um, in a, and to better solve, uh, help them be better prepared to solve the problems that we're going to face as a human race and, and in the future and um, give them a head start on working on those problems. So if you don't have a tutor for your kid, get one. And there are free ones online. Visit Khan Academy. Artificial intelligence is something that's very important to me and something that I believe is going to be um, one of the, the things that helps to propagate more learning, uh, individualized learning in the future and in the very near future. So if you or anyone you know are interested in artificial intelligence teachers, you can contact me at uh, on Twitter at ChrisSchool3000 or via Instagram at ChrisSchool3000 as well. Thanks.